0: This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 617.
1: For me, it's really looking at what is my unique ability? What are my greatest strengths? And what is it that I love doing? What am I really good at? And how can I do more of that? And the only way for me to do more of that personally is to have someone else handle the other stuff. And there's people who love bookkeeping. You know, I'm not, I'm, I can do it, but I don't love it. So hiring someone who is a bookkeeper who loves bookkeeping. Who's totally into reconciling and getting everything right?
0: What's going on, everyone? This is David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, joined today by my co host, Rob Abasolo. In today's show, Rob and I are interviewing Rich Fetke, one of the owners of the Real Wealth Network, along with his wife, Kathy Fettke, who are both sort of in the bigger pockets world now as contributors and influencers, and we talk a lot about leadership, about scaling, and a little bit about where you could be putting your money. Rob, how are you doing today?
2: I want to flip this around and ask, how are you doing, man? That was a very,
0: very soft intro, very asthma of you. Less energy than I typically bring. I'm actually experimenting with this. Like, I typically have one speed. I come in like a Tasmanian devil. And I hammer away and I'm wondering if a softer approach might be good at times. How's it coming across so far?
2: Um, it's good. It's good. It's a little different, you know, it's a little different than I'm normal, but it's very like, it's very soothing, I
0: guess, you know, I wouldn't mind it. The fear is I'm going to put our audience to sleep being too soothing rather than hammering them in the face with value that's true but they would sleep like a baby though so I'll,
2: I'm gonna listen to this podcast after it comes out and I'll report back I'll let you know I'll let you know how my sleep was
0: you don't actually don't have to I can tell what you think you don't like it because you're doing that thing you do and you're like, mm, I don't hate it no I didn't not say that. saying I don't like I didn't it yeah I know that, but you no. your tone said it Rob it's okay I'm sorry I right love to hear it
2: man out. I love it okay yeah. I love it
0: I did a I did a show with the real estate rookie podcast yesterday which will probably be coming out around the same time as this one and it was just very high energy and when I got done I'm like man I seem to only have one gear in my regular life. I don't go that hard. So it opened up these doors of like, well, how should I be interacting? Cause this was a three hour podcast. I probably would be more like this, but you know, we're trying to hammer out as much value as we can in a short. So, so maybe our guests could let us know in the comments below, do you like high energy, Dave or low energy, Dave?
2: All right. Well, speaking of delivering value, I think we've got quite the show today with Rich, man. He just wrote a book. It's called The Wise Investor. It's out now. You can go and buy the ebook on Amazon, I believe. And yeah, man, it was a really good conversation. We talked about setting your mindset. Just, you know, I think that's really important whenever you're scaling a company. And he really talked about not just scaling the operations of the company, but scaling the actual culture of it, which is something that a lot of people don't talk about. And that seems to really that resonated a lot with me because I'm scaling a lot of my own real estate operations now. And so I'm definitely gonna be taking a lot of that to heart. Mm. We also talked about confronting your inner gremlin, which was an an Mm. interesting approach, which is just like to put it simply, not just listening to that voice in your head that tells you not to do something, but legitimately confronting it. So if it says, no, don't do that, you ask it back. You, You then become the voice in that voice's head and say, why not? You tell me why, why not? And then from there, actually getting an answer and clarity as to what's actually like preventing you from moving on in your real estate journey. So a lot of good, a lot of good little tidbits all throughout.
0: Yeah, this, and Rich has been in the game for a little bit. So this isn't a spring chicken. He's kind of giving us a good experience, sage perspective on how to get started, how to scale, what type of people you want in your organization. And I really liked how we talked about the values the person brings is higher and fire, according to the value. So this is a really relevant episode. If you've had a little bit of success, you got a couple properties and now you're like, how can I get more? And that is a good segue into today's quick tip. So today, Rich talked about how before he can hire someone to know if they're the right fit for the company, they have to know what their values are. He, He frequently talked about asking questions of the people that work for you saying, what do you want? Well, if you don't know what you want and you don't know what your values are, how can you make sure that you're aligned with the right group? So what Rob and I are recommending is that you take a minute to sit down and you ask yourself what are the things that I value? What do I want out of this relationship? And get clear on who you are and who you want to be so you can make a better choice about where you should be.
2: It's really good. Can say it my All right, Rob, before we get into the show, anything you want to add? No, that's a really good quick tip. You know why? Because yeah, I think look man, for me I'm just like, my, my mind is just like a a floating ether of ideas. And so literally like bringing some level of organization to your life and to your values and actually writing stuff out can really just clarify who you actually are as an investor. Yeah. Didn't mean to get so profound in the intro, but here we are.
0: Sometimes you can't help it. A man like you with the, uh, the wisdom of Seneca mixed with Marcus Aurelius can't really help, but be profound and sage in most of what you say. Well, there you have it. Oh, you're uncomfortable with compliments. Look at you. You got your blush a little bit there.
2: No, no, no. That's the purple light. It looks like I'm blushing, but it's just it's the hair light that, that I use for my studio.
3: Fair enough. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible.
0: REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today.
2: Get your next new construction property at a
0: steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to rentalretirement.com today. All right, let's bring in Rich. Rich Fecky, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Podcast. How are you today?
1: I'm doing awesome, man. I started the day with a morning surf session with Kathy, my wife, and uh, so I'm pretty stoked right now and great to be here.
0: So is this a Jocko thing where you wake up at 4 a.m., you go get a workout in, then you go surfing, you, uh, you save uh, an indigenous people from a horrible tribal warlord, you play some guitar, you do some jujitsu, and then it's 9.30 and you go have your coffee and the rest of the world's waking up?
1: Exactly. Well, I also take a picture of my watch and I post it <laughs> and then I picture do a picture of all the sweat on the floor too. So yeah.
0: <laughs> and then put, put aftermath or get some as your caption. Yeah, exactly. Get after it. <laughs> yeah, Rob, I never... Are you a morning person, Rob?
2: Um, Not really. I'm kind of forced into it because uh, I have kids. So I my I, my youngest today, Rook, he started crying at 7.30 and then my wife gave me the, the morning SWAT. you know, like the, you're up. You go do it. It's your turn. And so I was a morning person today, but not by choice.
0: That's how I learned <laughs> to be a morning person was having kids. Yeah, oh, I guess maybe SWAT. that's how I've been able to avoid it for so long. Don't have kids. So I get to there you go avoid that <laughs> so rich for people that haven't heard you can about you can you give us a little bit of a summary of what you do uh, the role that you and your wife play in your business and then we'll get into our to show today absolutely yeah
1: so my main role is the leadership of the business as far as overseeing I mean, the culture our core values our purpose our mission making sure we're on track that everyone's communicating effectively um, that's been the main focus um, definitely on the marketing side too you know that's when Real Well started, I was my official title was Chief Support Guy. So when Kathy needed a, a website, I created the first website. And then the second website, uh, when iTunes came out with this thing called Podcasts, I took her um, radio show and burned the CD into an MP3 and uploaded it to iTunes. And so that's kind of been my role, kind of Chief Support Guy.
2: Every company needs a CSG.
1: <laughs> that's exactly it. That's a nice title.
2: How would you
0: describe what your company does?
1: Real wealth, um, two things really. We help get, we basically we help people create real wealth, you know, financial freedom through investing in real estate. So, basically, the way we do it is we, uh, I'm a broker. So, we refer people to other brokers in markets, emerging markets, where they can buy mostly single family properties, one to four units, and uh, that cash flow because, you know, we started in California and it's kind of hard to cash flow around here. So, uh, helping investors move out of California, move their money into um, usually like the Southeast and things like that that. So that's one part of the business. And then the other part of the business is uh, syndicating, mostly ground up uh, residential development.
2: Wow. So, okay. So you get to A, advise people on it, but B, you're actually still, you're still really quite heavily invested in the real estate space.
1: Oh, very much. Yeah, very much. You know, and Kathy and I invest too, and we walk the talk and, you know, it's um yeah. And we we're GPs in these syndications. So we invest in those and Yeah. Yeah, we love it.
2: About how many syndications are you guys, you know, how has that changed over the course of this company? Like, are you guys doing more and more now? Are you doing less now, but much bigger deals? How has that really shifted since, uh, how long has Real Wealth sort of been? a company
1: uh we started in 2003 um i can tell you the story about that but uh he started way back then and started in the kind of the mortgage space kathy was a mortgage broker so we started to help people get into properties that way mostly for the for the mortgage helped them to so kathy we get the mortgage uh, and then we started to help people get in you know with the referral system um, but with the syndications that wasn't until 2010 uh, that we started doing that, broke all the rules. So we didn't realize SEC rules and everything back then. Um, but it went well. And um, so we usually do two or three good good-sized projects a year. Uh, lately, right now, we don't have a really good acquisitions person. So um, we're we have, everything's on pause. You know, If you don't have a good acquisitions person who can really underwrite a deal, which we've learned from our mistakes, uh, don't do it. So right now that's kind of on pause. We're just managing the current Syndications that we have—that's
2: awesome, man. So, yeah. I mean, it starts really stacking up. Three syndications a year—you do that over and over and over again. I mean, you know that that really starts snowballing at a very alarming rate.
1: Yeah, because investors bring their their capital back when they get their capital return, and they say, "Okay, I want to invest in this next project." Yeah, it's really cool.
2: It's a very exciting thing. I'm like finally starting to syndicate and doing funds and everything, and like I'm really year year one on all this, but you, you can start to start to see the trajectory of it and. Um, you start to really understand that a team, you, you need a team, right? Like a team is so pivotal, pivotal to actually successfully doing this.
1: 100%. Yeah, yeah. The only thing more important than a good idea is a team that can see it through. <laughs> I constantly <laughs> say that to my team.
2: Yeah, anyone can think of an idea,
0: but not everyone can execute. God, that's such a good line. Rob, that should be on your tombstone because that's the truth. I think uh, (laughs) we always tell people like where I see this come up is people say you need a system. So everyone writes down need systems Mm. or I'll hear people say I need to work on my systems. And I think what that typically appears to us as is I need to write down all the stuff that needs to be done and create like a spreadsheet, a checklist, some framework to operate off. And that is important. You do need that. But the fallacy is when people believe, well, it's done once you've did that, that you're just going to hand it to someone and they're going to do it. Half of a system is having the framework. The other half is getting a human being that is good at executing that system. And I don't know why that's – we don't think of it naturally, but everything's in life like that. You can tell a baseball player, okay, your job is to hit the ball, but he gets paid on how well he can hit the ball. And that's what it's like in a business is you need a human being that can actually execute the system that you created. And that is hard. This is one of the things that stops people from scaling. So I know Rich, you're really big in leadership. You're really big in um, delegating this stuff and keeping things running. Can you share with us some of the things you've learned about what it takes to make a team work and maybe what some of the common misconceptions that people believe are that turn out not to be true?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely huge. It's like we as real estate investors, we're always looking at creating freedom, right? Freedom of time, freedom of money. Uh, and if you don't have a team, you're not going to create freedom of time. You're going to do, to try to do everything yourself. And I think that's the big mistake that so many people do. Like you said, they try to create systems, but they're systems for them, you know, and they're trying to do it and trying to do all the work. They're not letting go. And, and honestly, it's like, it's finding people who are better and more talented and more skilled and more knowledgeable in areas like we have an amazing uh, girl who does our SEO. She's phenomenal. And I don't know anything about it. You know, we have someone else who just goes out and is our property team director. And he oversees our property team. So, yeah, it's key. It's the only way to create leverage, the only way to grow something beyond yourself. And the only way to leave a legacy is to have a good team that they can follow through, that are connected and you know, and the only way you're going to have that is to have a, a really strong, solid culture. I think
0: that's key. So how are we defining culture? If you were, if someone says like, well, what is it I'm actually trying to do? How would you describe that? Culture to me
1: is, um, it's the vibe, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's nice. kind of the vibe, the way everyone kind of connects and they feel good and, you know, and not just feel good around, um, you know, just happy, you know, if you want that, but feel good in that. That one of our core values at Real Wealth is connection. That's one of our core, you know, core values. It's very important to it. Not only do we connect people with properties and connect people with education, but we are connected as a team. It's really huge. So we're like like family. We're stronger and better together. So it's that. That's what I see it as culture. It's when people love coming to the coming to work. Remote company. We've been a remote company for about twelve years now. Um, our employees are all over the all over the country. We've been as as many as twenty seven employees right now. We're about twenty two. Um, so empowering people to be leaders and to have that culture of accountability. I think that's key too. Where people do what they say they're going to do. They do it on time, but they don't have someone looking over their shoulder. You know, just being that jerk manager, you know?
2: Definitely. Well, actually, I kind of want to ask you about this because, you know, the actual culture of working has shifted significantly in the past two years. So can you tell us a little bit about how you felt the culture of your company was going and then how did the pandemic change that? What kind of uh, changes did that spur on in in your philosophy and the way you ran the company?
1: That's a great question. It um, It was reaffirming the pandemic because it was interesting because I was doing an interview um, soon after the pandemic hit now and, and and the the interviewer basically is just like so how, how how is it being a remote company now because of the pandemic and I've been like we've been practicing for 10 years it's really cool and it's in the beginning there was some growing pains for sure But there's something around. um, So going into the pandemic, we were like, oh, we got this. The only shift for us is we used to do live events, two live events every month. We do one in San Francisco area, one down in Southern California. And obviously we had to call those off and stop. We haven't done a live event for two and a half years now. We're doing our first live event uh, next month. So excited about that. But that was, you know, that was a big one. It was just shifting from that. And then we're like, okay, so how are we going to do events? How are we going to have people feel connected? How are they going to get to meet the property teams or learn more about a syndication? Um, And we're great technology. you know, It's amazing. So we use Basecamp uh, for all our project management. We use uh, GoToMeeting and Zoom for our our meetings. Everyone has our cameras on just like this so we can see each other. So I think that's a big part of the culture.
2: So I know you talk a lot about mindset, you know, that that's one of your big philosophies. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, that pillar in your philosophy of culture or, you know, kind of in your investment investing strategy? Walk us through your philosophy on how mindset impacts the overall culture and, you know, your personal investing strategy.
1: I think it even goes beyond mindset. It's definitely mindset is huge, you know, that that is absolutely massive. And, you know, how we think creates our life. And there's no doubt about it. Uh, I, I think it's more about becoming the best version of yourself to run a good, solid company. You have to be a good, solid leader. And for everyone in the company, for them to be their best it's and show up the best work-wise, it's them becoming the best version of them themselves. I mean, the bottom line is like, when we get better, everything around us gets better, right? It's like when you work on yourself and you re- really get clear about what is that best version of me? How do I want to show up? How do I want to give? If If an obstacle comes at me, a challenge, do I crumble? Do I Woe is me? Or do I look at that challenge as an opportunity, as an adventure, uh, something that's going to make me stronger and better? And so I think it starts with you and getting really clear on who you who are you at your best, who is that best self and what are those core values that are important to you? What do you really believe in? What do you focus on? Get that solid first, and then that carries over to your business. So Kathy and I got really clear on what are our, our core values. We met in a personal development workshop, so we, we did a lot of work on this core values and goals and all that stuff. So we carried that over. And when we set the core values for our company, we didn't just do that from us, just saying these are the core values. We came at it and said, these are the core values that are most important to us. What about you guys? You know, This is when our team was like 10 people, but we had everyone... You know, we had a whiteboard, we were writing all the core values, what's important. And we did the, the, the combining, combining them all into one and then boil it down to just a handful of, of core values. So I think it starts with that. It's that mindset of becoming the best version of yourself first and then that shows up and then you create a great company based on awesome core values.
2: So, when you're looking at challenges as problems, you know, that's kind of one of the things that you're talking about here and looking to them as a a challenge as an adventure. Is there like an actionable tip that you can give someone here? Because on the surface, you know, it's pretty easy to say, like, hey, face your challenge here and make it an adventure. But is there Mm -hmm. kind of a a tip you can lend to the audience for actually being able to like run full force towards this this mindset, if you will?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, before. We created real wealth i was a business and personal coach i got into that industry early 1995 and um because of that it really it just getting into it early and really learn learning and as a baseline and the one thing i've seen it doesn't matter i've coached ceos and to homemakers and everything from artists to attorneys and every single person i've ever coached including me has this little voice in their head. It's this little, I, I like to call it the gremlin. It's this itty bitty. Committee inside our head, right? That just it beats us up. It tells us you're not enough, you can't do that, you're gonna fail. Look at this person invested over here and they failed. Same thing's gonna happen to you. All this stuff, you know, every single person. So I, I think it really comes down to that first. It's identifying what is that gremlin? And the gremlin's super powerful when it's it's in our subconscious mind, right? And it's always been there to try to protect us, protect us from embarrassment and failure and loss. But sometimes it overprotects. So I think it's just for me, I think the best process to just kind of check in on a regular basis. If you're feeling something in your body, you're feeling butterflies or you're feeling you're clenching your jaw or you're about to. I mean, I, I obviously I'm going to I had some gremlins before this interview. It's like, Rich, you're going to be on bigger pockets. My gremlin starts saying, you don't know enough about multifamily. You don't know about the economy. You know, it's like, OK, so I just stop. You take a super deep breath in, which actually stimulates your vagus nerve and it affects your prefrontal cortex of your brain. It slows down your heart rate. It calms you and it has you see things in a different way. So I think that way of processing processing that gremlin and just taking a deep breath and saying, OK, hey, Mr. Gremlin or Ms. Gremlin, what's going on here? What do you need from me? What are you trying to protect me from? What, what's the what's the warning signal here? And most often that little voice will just say, I'm afraid of this, or you need to do this, or you need to be aware of this. And then you say, okay, cool. Anything else? And it, it seems weird. It seems kind of hokey or woo woo-woo or something. But when you do it, that you get that answer from your subconscious mind, which is so much more powerful than that conscious mind. And you start to get these new answers about, oh, I see how I can move into this. So I think that's a, a really powerful tool that I've seen work, you know over the last 25 years as a coach.
0: So Rich, if I know, hey, I need to figure out what my core values are before I know what the right team to join or that company to work for or investment strategy to pursue is, but I've got shiny object syndrome, <laughs> which typically is like, I don't like where I am. So everything feels better than this. Mm. Right? How? What advice do you have for somebody who can figure out what will be the right road for them when at that point, when they're that hungry, everything looks good? That's
1: a really good point. Yeah. So core values are like, they're intrinsic. They're almost born with us and kind of built into us and they evolve over our life. You know, they get deeper and stronger. So, I mean, one way to look at core values is like, look at what pisses you off. You know, what is it? What pisses you off? What frustrates you? What, What really gets you going? And then flip that over. And on the other side of that is a core value. So if Dishonest people really piss you off. People who lie, people who are manipulating stuff. You flip that over, and there's going to be a core value of either honesty or integrity or both. You know, it could be something like that. Um, for me, one of my core values is optimism. You know, seeing a brighter future, having hope, looking at let's look for the good, let's look for this is where things are going. That's a core value of me because flip that over, I I hate it. Drives me crazy when people are victims when they complain when they focus on the negative. So, I flipped that over and it's like optimism, and that's one of our core val- core values at Real Wealth.
0: You know, I in the last year or so, when did it start? I think it started with the whole COVID thing because everybody got so entrenched in their side. Rob and I were talking about this when we were in Scottsdale. Um it's crazy. It, yeah. It's it's clearly polarizing to say the least everything that happens, right? Like it's Very uncommon that two people will sit down and be like, This is what I see. And someone else says, I see it like this. Oh, that's interesting. How do you deal with this element of it? I do it this way. And, and right. It's always just you start screaming at the other side and digging yourself in deeper. And I noticed that when I watch the news, it, they, I never really see somebody make something up out of thin air that is not true at all. It's more that they take a nuanced issue, they highlight, The side of it that supports that opinion. And then they just pound that side and ignore the other side. Right. And I've kind of come to the understanding that as a human being, this is the way people lie is they don't just make something up. You don't say things like the sky is green and just expect people to believe you. You, you take out the part of the argument that shows a different side than what you see. And you just keep hammering that one side. So applying that to other parts of life, your optimism argument starts to make sense. Is life good or is life bad? It's both. There's horrible things that happen all the time. There's beautiful things that happen all the time. It's it's which side we choose to focus on that determines the reality oh. we're going to have, right? So there's always a reason to be negative, right. and there's also always a reason to be positive. So I wanted to kind of get you. So you seem like you're interested in this topic. Can you share some of the things that you've had to overcome to get to the point you're at, where you are able to use that muscle that can see the positive in a situation?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's two things that are coming up. You know, big one is that book, Think Different. Uh, Think again. It's called Think Again. Think Again. Adam Grant. Um, it's so good. Adam Grant, yeah, exactly. Think think again. And um, I just love the I can't remember it exactly, but it's like the three Ps is the politician, it's like where people come from. They're either the politician, they're trying to work it, you know, to manipulate and get their way. There's the preacher who's just like, This is the way it is, and they're preaching it and they just don't wanna hear anything else. Um, I forget what the third P is now. Oh, the prosecutor. Yeah. So there's a prosecutor there. They have all their facts and they come at it and they just start drilling down with all their facts that they've memorized and trying to make you wrong and them right and all that. And so his third, I mean, his fourth one, he says is to be a scientist, be a scientist where you look at things more neutrally. You're not, you, you don't take that side and you're just like, okay, oh, okay. So it's like, so I think that's a powerful one. That was a great book for me that to have me just go, you know, going through the whole COVID and just, just everything. I mean, it's the craziness and, you know, it's like the social dilemma, right? We get these feeds and they just start feeding us on social media and everything with all the stuff that we, that's clickbait. And then people start seeing their, their whole story, their whole narrative becomes, go, goes down this way or this way. So I think that's huge. And then, you know, it goes it goes way back, like it goes way back into stoicism way, you know, 2000 years ago. Um, that was inspired Viktor Frankl. And he said something about his, if you can remember that, he said, um, between stimulus and response, there is a pause. And then there's it's that moment. And then and we have the moment in that moment is our power to choose our response. Mm-hmm. So you get the stimulus and then you get the response. But in that moment between those, you get to choose how you want to show up, how you want it to affect you. And I think that's huge. He said something about there's, you know, in that moment, in that response is our, lies, our power and our freedom. So that is huge for me. And it has affected me in a big way going through this. And yeah, it just, it got you know, it gets heated, heated with relatives, heated with friends, you know, people with their opinions and they're so committed to being right. And they get into these arguments and to be able to just pause and do the same thing, use that that vagus nerve and to breathe deeply and calm down and just be like, huh? And just be curious. So I'm actually going to get a, a tattoo, my first tattoo on my wrist of a question mark, because it's the one thing that I've learned is being curious is the most powerful response to anything. Instead of being like, I'm right. I'm trying to prove myself right. Um, talking too much and all that stuff. no, so, it's coming back to being curious. I think that's the way to handle it.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, you know, I think we're all recalibrating and we're finally at a place where we're, you know, we're back a little bit, you know, we can, we can all converse. And I think there's a lot more positivity that comes from conversing in person too. You know what I mean? So that that's for actually sure. one of the things that I really miss. One of the only things I really miss about my nine to five was the interacting with people and talking to people and meeting with people, that that was a very important aspect of the culture of my company. Yeah. You know, I was really just a big fan of that. So I actually kind of want to jump back into that a little bit and and sort of talk about, you know, it seems like you have a relatively decent staff at, at um, you know, with 22 people. So I'm kind of curious, are you effectively... Like, when is the next hire come for you? Because I know that a, a big part about scaling, A, both the, the company and the culture, you know, there's got to be some delegation that, that comes along. So is every new hire for you, is that just, you know, another way for you to delegate something that you can't do, um, you know, or is it, is it just, you know, a numbers game where you just need more people to kind of handle some of the smaller tasks?
1: For me, it's really looking at what is my unique ability, what are my greatest strengths, And what is it that I love doing? What am I really good at? And how can I do more of that? And the only way for me to do more of that personally is to have someone else handle the other stuff. And there's people who love bookkeeping. You know, I'm not, I can do it, but I don't love it. So hiring someone who is a bookkeeper who loves bookkeeping, who's totally into reconciling and getting everything right. I mean, it's a move like that. So yeah, we're we're hiring right now too. We're, like I said, I'm looking for a really good underwriter for our syndication, someone who really understands um, ground up development, residential development, to really underwrite these deals. So that's a big one, and that's an area where <laughs> I'm pretty lost in. You know, don't don't have me do the underwriting. It's uh, it's not going to work out too well. And then uh, then we're looking for someone who is um, managing some of the property teams, these properties that we refer and the brokers refer refer people to for buying investment properties, uh, hiring another person who's kind of like the boots on the ground out in that market where they can actually go and look at the quality of the properties, qualities of the rehab, if it's a rehab or the quality of a new build, if it's a new build. So yeah, I think that's it. And so it's, you know, and when we do hire, we hire to our values. And when we fire, we fire to our values. So we look at, when we're doing an interview, we might say something like, tell me about a time in your life when um, you were challenged on the integrity side of things, when you really had to apply this core value of integrity. And boom, you put them right on the spot and and see what they come up with and see where they are with that.
2: Sure. Yeah. Hire and fire based on your values. I really like that. And I think this is a really interesting topic, certainly because I imagine when you're a little bit smaller, like myself, it's really tough to let go of control because like my operation runs well um, but it does require me to be there right and so I feel like every new person I bring on to the team is just it's letting go a little bit of the it seems like the quality but I know that that's not really how it goes for you can you tell me about your 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 thoughts here? like when you hire someone and you're you're saying you don't want to do the underwriting or you don't want to do the bookkeeping do you ever feel like you're just letting go of contr- like a small aspect of control of your company?
1: Yes, absolutely. That's that's part of the whole dilemma, right? You know, letting go of the wine and then letting go and trusting, but um, there's no way to scale a company. There's no, you're not an entrepreneur if you're not letting go and you're not building a company, you're not building a business if you're not letting go because you're going to be just stuck and you only have so many hours in the day. And if you're trying to do it all yourself, there's just no way you're going to do it. So that's where it's like, that's letting go of control, but it's not letting go of quality. So I think the quality piece is really onboarding someone really well. So if there's something that you're doing now, Rob, right? It's like you you basically you mentor that person. You have them right there kind of, you know, they're mirroring you. And then I, one of the most powerful things I think is to say, instead of saying, do it this way, do it this way. You give them some basic training, but then you say, OK, if you're going to do this on your own and I wasn't here, what would you do? And see what they come up with. And then they might say, oh, I would do it this way. And you're like, oh, that's good. That's better than I thought of. Or they might say, I'd do it this way. You go, well, okay, <laughs> what's another way you could do it? Right. <laughs> what's another way? But that empowers them to really see this new hire as someone who's creative and resourceful. And not make the assumption that you have to micromanage them and tell them how to do everything. So that's our whole culture at real wealth. And that's, you know, coming from a coaching background and seeing my clients as creative and resourceful and whole, uh, knowing that they, th- they can find the answers, we carry that. And Kathy's a certified coach as well. We carry that same thing over into our training and our development of our team, where we empower people to just really figure it out on their own and ask for help when they need it. But often you get surprised. You're like, whoa, okay, you, fi- you figured it out. You did a better job than I would have done.
2: So would you say then you're a relatively large believer in the idea of autonomy then?
1: Huge. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I wanted to create a company that I would want to work at. I've always been self-employed. I've never had a regular nine to five, never been a W2. And I just, I just could not create a company where people felt like they were stuck, you know, feeling stuck, feeling talked down to, being told what to do. Uh, Freedom's a huge value for me. So Basically, that's the approach we took. And Kathy's the same way. Don't tell her what to do. So it's just kind of like, you know, empowering people. There's the autonomy. And, you know, everyone has their, their three or four big goals every quarter and their deliverables every week. So there is accountability. There's no, t- no doubt about it. So we know and we're, it's not like we're waiting until the end of the year and being like, whoa, you didn't do anything. We're very clear on what people are doing and what they're up to and that they're, they're moving the needle.
2: 100%. I think one of the biggest, this is where I'm like, not really great. I'm, I'm working on this, right? I'm working on hiring and delegating and building out my team. And I think the what can really just make a big difference in that autonomy is you just really have to, uh, actually, I think David told me this, like you have to develop, not delegate. And so I think there's a really important Ooh. aspect of onboarding someone and actually developing them and setting them up, right? So it's not just like, all right, go figure it out. You know, It's a pretty intensive like Training right for the first week, two, three, whatever you feel is appropriate, and then you give the autonomy because there have been many times where I, <laughs> I've been hired in a company, uh, you know, it was my first day, and they're like, "Well, you know, here you go," and I'm like, I, I, "I literally don't know what this is," you know. That's and uh, I was an advertising copywriter, so you can imagine if I get dropped into a I don't know a Peloton group, and they're like, "Oh, go go write an ad for this," I'm like, "I don't know anything about Peloton." Right, so I think yeah. developing someone right out the gate for me seems to be like what what can really be the game changer in the idea of autonomy
1: Yeah it's the, the more time you put in up front and clarity and constantly asking that person like I was saying you know, how would you do this and show me what you've done and do you have any questions for me anything you need? Um, am I giving you giving you the training and development and the resources that you need? yeah, I think a lot of time up front and all of a sudden then it's like it, then it's amazing and, and then you empower this person and they learn how to be a leader. And then you got a whole culture of like awesome leaders who can figure things out on their own and they don't need you.
0: Uh, yeah, I've gotten over that. I'm pretty happy not being needed now. It's hard. It's hard when I'm good. Always needed. But yeah, there is a point I absolutely where it feels good to be needed about something and to let, and when that's best for the business to let go becomes a personal challenge. Um, I wanted to ask you, let's say somebody that works with you and Kathy, they're a part of the Real Wealth Network. And they decide they need to start hiring because they're doing so well with buying some single family homes. What do you think is a good first hire for that investor that's picking up some steam? Oh,
1: I mean, it really is dependent on them. But um, overall, and just broad sweep, bookkeeper, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't track their numbers well. They don't know their numbers. Uh, they get behind on it. They, they're like, uh, you know, it's a should. It's like, I should really get in there and really go over my portfolio. I should really be crunching these numbers. I should really be looking at how I'm doing with returns and and all this stuff. Uh, So, I mean, Mm. next to a property manager, that's number one, having a property manager. But I would say the bookkeeper would be number two, someone who's really good at it.
0: Rob, what about you? What have you found was like the hire that made the biggest difference for you in scaling? Uh, An
2: assistant. (laughs) Okay. Um, I, I was really just bursting at the seams here, you know, just doing everything, right. Managing emails and responding to people on, uh, my, my rentals on Airbnb and like writing YouTube descriptions and titles and, oh man, you know, it just got to the point where I, I really just felt underwater all the time. And everyone always talks about how an assistant, you know, is, is pivotal, right. And like can really change a lot for you. And I knew it, but the problem with hiring my assistant was that I, I had to train her on, on everything that I do, as good as I do it. And that's always the hard and the scary part because you're like, can I do that? You know? Um, and I did, she's really great. She's really, really, really great. And now that I don't have to worry about a lot of these much smaller tasks in my life every single day. And, you know, she's kind of rocking and rolling with that every day. It allows, it, it opens up my brain power to be able to just focus on some of the bigger deals that I have, right. You know, syndications and funds and new builds and constructions. And now that I've got that time back, it's, you know, it's a game changer for me. So uh, sometimes I want to hire another one.
1: <laughs> What's been the biggest challenge for you? i now I'm asking the questions, but what was the biggest cha- challenge for you around uh, around like kind of onboarding and working with an assistant? Has it been easy?
2: Only because she has been really great about being like, you know, hey, I need this. You tell <laughs> okay. me this now. So Force I told her like, yeah, I mean, I, I told her that it's, it's her job literally to annoy me. Cause she, you know, I was like, I don't ever want you to feel like you're annoying me. Cause that is very common, right? Like I've had another assistant before and she was great too, but it was always meant to be like a two month thing. And she was always like, Oh, I just didn't want to bother you. I'm like, no, 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 no. You need to bother me. If you don't bother me, things will not get done and I will just ignore you. So I think the hard part with hiring somebody just in general, especially someone like an assistant is that it forces a level of organization that I just don't have, Hmm. you know, detailing the systems, right? I know the systems, I made them up, but I never wrote them down. So now I sort of have to like write them down or do a loom and, and record a lot of just things that are so easy, but I'm like, Oh, I can't believe I have to show them how to log in to this website. But I know that by doing that, that means they'll never ask me about it again. And so it's just been really hard. And this is kind of like one of the things, even with, um, Like on YouTube, like I had a lot of sponsors, like I had 12 in a row and that's usually a really good thing, right? Because it's like a, it provides good income and everything, but it required a level of organization out of me that I didn't have because I had to be ahead of schedule with outlining and editing and getting things back to them. And so that's where I'm always most uncomfortable when I'm put in a position to, I guess it's really just delegating when I have to like give something over and actually organize my thoughts in a way that makes sense because usually it only has to make sense to me.
1: Yeah, I mean that's we're huge at our company on documented processes. So just what you're saying is um and thank goodness because when we have someone leave or someone has to move or they take a different job or something like that, having all those documented processes, and that's why I was saying we use Basecamp we put all of those documented processes in there. And then yeah, like you said, loom videos and screen captures and, you know, documented step one, step two and checklists, you know, using the checklist manifesto book, kind of following that and have everything in checklists. That's been a game changer for us.
2: I mean, it's a it's a necessary evil, right? I mean, and yeah. I, I, I do I definitely recognize that too, because I often think, you know she's not going anywhere, but if she did, I'd be like, Oh no, yep. like I have to redo all, I have to like redocument everything and, and teach them because even now she's learning all the things that like, you know, now she's documenting stuff for herself. So it's like nice. very pivotal, not pivotal. Uh, that's a new word that I'm working on. I'm workshopping it still, but it's very pivotal, uh, to document stuff that way when you do scale, like the idea is She's going to be my assistant right now, But as we continue to scale and get dozens of more properties every single year, I want her to start leading a lot of that and training the people that you know are coming onto the team and training them on property management and bookkeeping and and all that type of stuff. And so the idea is if she can be really good at that, she will eventually move into the bigger role, right? And so that does require some level of organization from both of us to so just make sure that, you know, we're all happy and we're all in the clear.
1: And that's huge. And one thing I'd highly recommend, and maybe you have done this already, but checking in with her and asking, where do you see yourself in three years in with me in this company? Where what position would you like to be in? What do you see? What do you envision? That can be huge. Well, I do that every single quarter with all the people who report to me. I have you know the five leaders are in our company. Um, and then they do the same with the people that report to them and they ask us the same thing, you know, where do you see yourself in three years? And sometimes you're surprised because it's not the same as the last quarterly conversation. They'll say something else, but having that picture of where this person wants to go can really help you, you know, connect into that and support that dream.
2: No, you're right. I, we, we definitely don't check in as much as we should. It's hard. Look, first of all, it's hard to be a boss. Okay. That's one of the the difficult things with hiring a team. It's like, okay, even if you find the the correct hire being a good boss is hard. And I recognize that. And that's why I don't purposely just go out and hire five people. Cause I could, but I want to just kind of master being decent at this whole, like good for you management awesome. thing. Um, yeah. but it's like, it's hard to be a boss. And so we do check in. I mean, and the same thing, I have a business partner that's running like my whole real estate kind of operation. And he talks with the investors and he briefs them and he's the one that's sourcing deals and doing everything. And we check in a lot, but it's, you know, it's hard because when you're loosey-goosey for years, it's hard to like start saying, "Hey, every Monday at two o'clock, like we're going to check in, and when we do, you're right. Everyone's answers seem to be different because I think in the world of real estate, like as you grow, your goals change like daily oh, so sure. it it's very true that I always hear different things. I'm like, Oh, I didn't know you wanted to do that. Let me help you with that, you know
1: super cool, yeah, I had a mentor who said, Do you know what um leaders are paid, why leaders are paid so well?" And what are they paid to do? And I was like, hmm, trying to think of that. He said, leaders are paid to have effective conversations. That's the most important thing that a good leader can do. So I was just like, it hit, I was like, whoa. It's like, you know, when I really thought about it, leaders are paid to have effective conversations. So it's exactly what you're doing with her, what you'll do with future employees is have those effective conversations.
2: We're always looking for ways to improve. Searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you about to sell a property? Wait like 60 seconds because this could save you thousands. Our friends at 1031 Pros have saved their clients more than half a billion dollars, with a B, in taxes with 1031 tax-deferred exchanges. With the 1031 exchange, you can say goodbye to the huge capital gains taxes when selling and roll your property's profit into another investment that can make you even more. Whether you're an individual investor, part of a larger group, or a title or real estate agent, 1031 Pros is ready to help. Trust me, I've done 1031 exchanges on multiple properties before, and it has saved me tens of thousands in taxes, if not more. With over 30 years of experience, 1031 Pros has handled over 20,000 audit-free exchanges, and they specialize in all types of exchanges, Delayed, simultaneous, reverse, and improvement exchanges in all fifty states. And right now, Bigger Pockets listeners can get two hundred and fifty dollars off any exchange by visiting my1031pros.com/bp. That's my one zero three one p r o s slash bp to get two hundred and fifty dollars off today. Oh, and make sure to mention Bigger Pockets when you call. They take care of our people over there.
0: eBay Motors is here for the ride. So Rich, shifting gears here a little bit, you mentioned earlier that you help people decide where to place their money. I'm assuming as leader, you have conversations with them about what their goals are and where they want to return. Can you share a little bit about which parts of the country you are most bullish on and what types of properties you're finding success with in those areas? Ever since 2003, it's been single family homes. It's one to four
1: units and we do some small apartment buildings, you know, little ones kind of one-offs. A lot of times it's a 1031 exchange. We help people get into those, but mostly it's one to four units. Uh, and mostly it's in the South Southeast. Honestly, it's like Florida has been huge. The Dallas area has been great for us for many, many years. Um, we've done a bunch of stuff in Pennsylvania, Ohio, um, North Carolina. It's been really good. Um, Indianapolis. Yeah, just mostly just Southeast, you know, it's, it's like where it's where the people are going, where people are moving, where businesses are moving.
0: Yeah. That's the thing that I I feel like 10 years ago, even maybe five years ago in our space where we teach about real estate investing, the strategies were based on getting the property, the actual home or house and how to find the right ones. You're kind of like sifting through garbage until you're like, Ooh, there's something Mm -hmm. valuable. And then going after it. And with as much as the world has changed with people moving as frequently as they move, with people traveling a lot more than they used to, it seems like more and more we are having to stay ahead of where the, the crowds are going. So it's not just about yes. the deal. Now it's about finding the area and the deal in the area and then trying to be a couple years ahead of the curve before all the other investors catch up and then they start buying there and then you got to go find another place. Have you, have you noticed a similar pattern? Definitely. Yeah. It's like location,
1: location, location, but timing, timing, timing. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the huge thing. But, you know, we really, most of the people that come to real wealth are busy working professionals who are making a good income. They're making, you know, solid six figures. Um, A lot of times they're the, the Henry's, the high earners, not rich yet people, right. Because they haven't invested their money. They haven't put their money to work for them. So most of the people that we work with are buy and hold for the long term, and they just they have a they have a long pictured a long vision on where they want to go with their investing, and they just want to. They want, a lot of people come in and they just all they've done is the four hundred one k in the stock market, some crypto, a little of this, but they're wanting to get out of that volatility, and they're wanting something that's going to be a you know good hard asset, and also, honestly, they also want the tax benefits and the depreciation. So. Most of the people we work with aren't so much about the, the timing of the market or exact. They, mm. they don't have to be so concerned about that because in the markets we're going into and helping them get into, it's just a long-term 10, 20, 30-year
0: vision for these Yeah. People. And that, if we're being completely honest, I think that's the best strategy right now because there's going to be some short-term volatility. Interest rates are going up. Every time... As human beings, anytime there's change, there's typically like a pause. It's just, it's kind of how we're wired. So you're walking through the forest, you hear a sound you've never heard. The first thing everyone does is freeze. What was that? Right. And then, okay, it did nothing, killed me. You start walking forward, you hear a different sound, you freeze again and we're just in from what it looks like to me we're starting to see these changes happening more and more and more frequently right there's a virus that's going to kill everybody right. and then that's all we're doing and now that's done and then do we have world war 3 coming up and then well that's going on well now interest rates are coming up and at the same time they're printing a bunch of money and at the same time other countries are doing things too and now the news is spreading this around so we hear about it constantly, much more than we ever did. So there's a lot more pauses that are occurring. And when you take that 5, 10, ideally 15, 20 year perspective, failure becomes almost impossible. It's very difficult to fail when you go that long, but not everyone has that luxury, right? If you don't already have a decent amount of wealth and you can play the long game, it can be really tough. Do you have any advice to the investor who's trying to get their way into the real estate market and this is the market that they're trying to cut their chops on? You know, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's how Kathy and I got into real estate, you know. It's like
1: when in 1997 her dad had to do a 1031 exchange. He had partners who sold the apartment building he was invested in. They didn't tell him until too late, you know, so he didn't have much time. And so he was at the end of his 45 days to identify a property and he was or he was going to pay massive taxes. So he called his five kids and just said, "Look, I need to buy something and if, you know, you can find it, um, we will I'll, I'll put the down payment. You can live in it as my tenant for now. And then later on, you'll inherit the property. And so Kathy jumped on it. Another her siblings didn't take any action. She jumped on it and she found a place in the San Francisco Bay Area that was a forty two hundred square foot home, way more than we needed. We didn't we just we had one daughter at the time. But we house hacked back then, 1997. And this was right before, as you know, right before a nice uptick in real estate and especially in the Bay Area. So we converted the lower level of that house into two uh, different units. We even locked off the master bedroom that had an outside entrance and turned that into a unit. So we had three units in there and we were able to cover, cover our mortgage and pay for that home. And that's how we basically got into real estate being a landlord and learning the lessons of that. And then that house appreciated about 100 grand, over 100 grand a year, year after year after year. And it went from, we got it for 547,000. And in that was in 1997. And when it was 2003, it got up to 1.8 million. So we did a cash out refi. We were able to pay her dad back all that money. He put the money back into the trust, and then uh, we were able to use some of that cash to go and buy investment properties. So I mean, that's I, th- I think that I think house hacking is just an, an awesome way to do it. You know, get it is what we tell our daughters too. You know, get a duplex or get a quad or something like that. You know, and mm-hmm. rent out the other ones. I think that's the best way, especially when you can get an FHA loan. You know, at that oh yeah. Fr-
2: it's you know? it's so affordable to get into it these yeah. days.
1: It all depends on where you are in the journey and how much money you're making, right? Oh, a
2: hundred percent. So I actually have a, a bit of a, a tactical question here, I guess, in, in regards to, you know, scaling a bit, because I was actually talking to someone earlier and she was like, Hey, how do I scale? And I was like, Okay, well, let's unpack this a little bit. So we uh-huh. talked about, you know, um sort of like, you know, just establishing your initial portfolio try to just get into your first five properties, right? You know, she has, she's into her first one now. so I'm like, five is going to be that goal. I think that's a good way to think about it. But you know, at a certain point, uh, then you'll get to 10 and you'll start to realize that going out and acquiring single family residences are really tough. It's really tough to just do it all the time. It's like not super, super scalable. And so I was like, you know, at a certain point, like for me, where I'm at in my journey, I'm starting to run more syndications and and starting funds and everything that to me is like the biggest way to scale in the real estate world, you know, and really just kind of, you know, explode your portfolio, if you will. So I'm kind of curious for you uh, considering you do so many syndications and you're rocking and rolling here. What is like a very like tactical step? Like what does that look like for someone that wants to go from, you know, like let's say a 1031 purchase or a single family residence, or maybe even a duplex or a house hack, how does one get to that next level of syndication? Like, is there a tactical way to do that? Or is it just all luck? Like, do you just fall into a syndication?
1: <laughs> That's funny. Um, you know, for us, it was it was more luck because we had a developer come to us and say, hey, this, this, this is after 2008. And it was this project in Portland. And the guy who is building these townhomes right on the river in Portland had a uh, he had about 20 million into it. He was almost done. He owed eight million to the bank. Uh, Lehman Brothers collapsed, and we were able to come in and raise three million to buy him out and then finish that project. So it was a very much, and it was incredible. Investors got over 20 percent return on their on their money. Um, but that, so that was kind of like the luck one. But coming back to your question, you know, I think the bottom line: it's learning. It's learning and being around people that know what they're doing. So I think like you said, that one person you were talking to, she gets, she's got her first investment property. That is a game changer. That is the mindset shifter of buying your first property. Oh yeah. There's so many people. And yeah, you know, this, it's like that, that's when you flick the switch and all of a sudden you go from not owning a property to being a landlord or owning an investment property, something happens here. And then you start getting this new self-belief about, Oh, I'm going to do my second, do my third. Yeah. And single families are scalable. I mean, I know people who who own a hundred single family properties and sure, they got it sure. all dialed in and stuff, but more, way more than I would want, you know, like, and yeah, say, I'm happy with 20. <laughs> it's cool. Right. And, right. And then you can go, yeah. So I think it's, I think it's, I think a single family is a great way to start and to learn and to get your chops and all that stuff. And then it's um it's growing little by little. It's like going and saying, "Okay, I'm I'm going to get a, a small apartment." And but before you do that, it's going to these conferences, it's listening, it's it's, it's listening to the podcasts, you know. It's reading the books. It's not signing up for the $100,000, you know, mastermind. It's taking that, you know, it's amazing what people put in so much knowledge and education into a book that costs 20 bucks. It drives me crazy when people are like spending massive amounts of money. I have one member who came to real wealth and she had spent over 50 grand just on education and didn't own a single investment property. It makes me so sad. So I think it's like getting into that first property, then learning, connecting, talking to people, um, going to these conferences and saying, what are you doing? You know, can you, and getting a mentor, honestly, I think that's what it comes down to. Get someone 90%. who, yeah, that's a huge. Well, I wealth. told
2: her the same thing. I was like, look, you know, cause she was like, well, yeah, I mean, you can do a syndication, but how do I? I'm like, well, yeah, you know, it's going to be different for everybody, but it's not like you're the, you may not be the GP on your first syndication. You may just be an LP, right. put some money in it. And then, you know, yep. maybe on the next one you ask, Hey, can I play a very small role in, in the next syndication, whether that's. Hey, maybe it's the bookkeeping or maybe it's the admin side of it. And you kind of work your way up. You know, you don't have to just start with like a $50 million uh, fund or anything like that. You know, you, you should kind of go accordingly. Yeah. Right. You you shouldn't. It, yeah. it, just, it doesn't work. Work super well for the people that just jump right in. Although, I mean, obviously it, there, there have been some rock stars out there.
1: Yeah. But usually if you look at their backstory, it's usually they didn't do a $50 million syndication on day one. Right. Yeah. Right. And also there's people who've done that and they're in jail.
0: <laughs> I'll throw this in there too. There's more of those success stories from inexperienced people in the last five to 10 years than at any other time, Hundred percent, because this has been the 100%. best market ever. You can make a lot of mistakes and still make it out. And this has been known, but it's just, you live in there long enough and it starts to feel normal. We could be coming into a time with interest rates going up and some of the stuff we were talking about earlier with inflation making assets more expensive, but the renters that you're going to be renting to, their ability to pay could be shrinking as their wages aren't going up at work, but everything that they have to spend money on, gas, food, their rent, all that is going up. I, I would not be surprised if we continue to see the Fed raising rates and um, we're already seeing in like the multifamily space, a lot of deals are falling out of escrow. People are like, yep, doesn't work anymore. Can't get the financing I was going to get. just like that, either it's retrading or it's falling out at a pretty big level. And I would expect to see more of that. And this is kind of where uh, that Warren Buffett quote when the tide falls, you see who's been swimming naked. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised mm. if things keep going like they are to where you see which syndicators were actually doing good work. And which of these twenty-six-year-old entrepreneurs were convincing people to lend them money, and they completely crashed and burned. So um, it's kind of something the market's been beating for a while because it's just been nonstop. Everyone's hitting over and over and over. I mean, have you noticed the True. same thing, Rich, in the world that you operate in? Just younger people without experience are still having oh, success so
1: much. Yeah. And there's just you know, being and you know, speaking at conferences and meeting them, and they come up and, yeah, and they, they say what they're doing. And it's like and honestly, it's like, you know, I've talked to some friends like, you know, Ken McElroy is a good friend of mine. And he's talking about how there was this um, he got he was offloading stuff before all this started to happen. And he um, had sold one of his deals. And then it was a few months later and someone was pitching him on buying this deal and talking about how great it is and how he can improve it. and He can improve management and all this stuff. And it was one of the deals he sold, you know? So it's just like, it's so crazy what's happening. And I'm, yeah, I'm really, I'm really concerned for a lot of people, especially the ones with the short-term financing. That, that I think is where it's going to really just, you know, punch them in the gut.
0: Yeah. Well, Rich, this has been great. I really appreciate you sharing your expertise and some of your experience here. Uh, We're going to move on to the last segment of our show. It is the world famous, famous four. In this segment of the show, we ask every guest the same four questions, and Rob and I will take turns firing them off at you. Nice. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate-related book?
1: I was going to say the book on rental property investing. I thought it was awesome. I think Brandon did a great job on that book. Uh, But my new book that just just came out on 420 uh, is called The Wise Investor, and it's a modern parable about creating financial freedom and and living your best life, honestly, and it's uh so it's different different than a typical nonfiction. It's a parable, it's a story. It's kind of like Rich Dad Poor Dad meets The Alchemist, and and Robert Kiyosaki wrote the forward for it. You know, I'm s- super stoked on that.
2: Oh wow, that's that's a bragging right.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's doing really well. It's uh it's been out for a month now, more than a month, and it's been on the bestseller list every day since it came out. I'm, I'm blown away.
2: All right, question number two, favorite business book.
1: This is kind of a little bit of an unknown book, but it's by Jim Collins and it's called Beyond Entrepreneurship. He just came out with a new edition, but it's been out for a long time. But it, it was like the, it was the, you know, a lot of these things like EOS was born from a lot of Jim Collins' work and a lot of Vern Harness' work, but Beyond Entrepreneurship by Jim Collins.
2: Awesome. When you're not writing books, scaling the culture of your company, or running syndications, what are some of your favorite hobbies?
1: Oh, adventure sports. (laughs) I've been hooked on them ever since I was little. But um, Skiing, mountain biking, surfing, um, uh, skydiving, all that fun stuff.
0: Yeah, I just love it. In your opinion, what makes successful investors different from those who give up, fail, or never get started? It's fear it's fear
1: absolutely yeah not being able to manage fear and move forward it's like letting that inner gremlin run the show and having it be in the dark and control things and pull the pull the strings and all that stuff so um yeah that that's it bottom line it's that inner fear it's that inner gremlin
2: and lastly Rich, can you tell us about where people can find out more about you and your book Uh, if they want to reach out to you on the internet? How how can people learn more about you?
1: Sure. Um, The book is just The Wise Investor Book. This is, I got my cover right here. It's not printed yet, but that's what it looks like. (laughs) Oh, I love that,
2: man. That's a great cover.
1: Thank you. Um, So yeah, thewiseinvestorbook.com has all the information about the book. Um, And then uh, Instagram is just Rich Fetke, which is F-E-T-T-K-E, at Rich Fetke.
0: Awesome. What about you, David? You can find me at David Green twenty four or YouTube at David Green Real Estate. I hired a company to run my social media and help make YouTube channels. So please let me have some feedback on what you guys think about how they're doing. Awesome. I got to tell you, it was a huge. There's a gremlin in my head about using emojis in my videos. Every time they would edit it, and it would be like, "Do you want to make money?" And they'd put like a little dollar sign emoji. Do you have any good ideas? A little light bulb emoji. I was cringing. Like I cannot stand <laughs> this. But everyone says like that they like it. So I'm just curious if like people could share their thoughts on how well I wear hey, that's, emojis. Dude,
2: that, is, that is TikTok speak, man. That is how it goes. I know it's mm-hmm. weird, but it's just, it's the way of the millennials and the Gen-, Gen Z.
0: I had to do the same thing with my Instagram, right? It was yeah. like, realtor, little house thing. Loan officer, little paper thing. And I was like, oh, I can't stand this. I But it was so many people that all said the same thing. Like, you have to set it up like this that I...
1: I finally gave in. You got to simplify though, you know, it's, I just watched one of your videos yesterday and actually works because it's like, it sends that quick little signal, you know, to just Mm -hmm, makes it mm -hmm. easy for the brain to take in. And that's why I wrote a parable because it's, you know, it just communicates information, but it connects it in an emotional way. And so that allows it to stimulate a real change. You know, you can just read a nonfiction book and it just kind of sometimes goes in one ear out the other, but a story completely shifts sometimes your mindset and how you see things
0: oh i totally agree that's one of the reasons i love the richest man in babylon that book is so so yeah. good because it communicates these principles in a way through story which makes them stick versus my natural communication style just to kind of say this is the way to do it bam like smack you in the face with it but it doesn't really like sink in like a story can absolutely yeah yeah i love parables and Rob, if people want to know more about you, the most interesting men in the world, this mysterious vibe that you have, how they can get a quaff <laughs> like yours, where can they find out more about you? Well, you know, I'm very
2: mysterious, so I'm not going to give that information out. But if I weren't mysterious, what I would say is you can find me on Rob Bilt on YouTube, R-O-B-U-I-L-T, Rob Bilt on Instagram, and uh, Rob Bilto on the old, the old TikTokers.
0: Rich, I appreciate you being here. Any last words you want to leave us with before we let you go? Oh, last words. That's good I mean, I'm just going to come back to what I said earlier.
1: Um, I've just, you know, being in business for as long as I have and being a coach for as many years as I've been, um, there's no special secret to business or growth or scaling beyond what I shared earlier. And it's become the best version of you. When you get better, everything gets better. So work on yourself, develop yourself and grow. And then everything starts to get better.
0: Thank you very much. Rob, any last words from you? No, no, I can't top that. That's great. You didn't think I was going (laughs) to ask you what you thought, did you? Surprised you and you weren't ready. So next time you'll have. Okay. How about this?
2: Uh, I'll, I'll uh, my final thought. I'll leave you with an emoji and it's the mind (laughs) blown emoji from how much I learned from this podcast. (laughs) <laughs> See,
0: like, this is why rob is a millennial can't communicate a final thought because he could only do it if he could use text so he could send an emoji he's like i don't know how to put that in words so he literally just tried to take the picture of a mind-blown thing and turn it into english which was very difficult to do we're, we're deep back in hieroglyphics as a society <laughs> like, i don't exactly. know how to nice. talk. Like, i'm waiting for the day when instead of laughing people just say lol I could. I that's going to come. It's 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 happening. It's on the way. Lol.
2: Yeah. Lol. Oh, we we do that sometimes. We'll say lol sometimes.
0: All right. Well, thank you guys very much. We'll let you get out of here. This is David Green for Rob Lol Abasolo signing out.
2: To find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast
0: is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included,
2: involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only
0: risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.